This is the daily lectionary comments for December the 14th. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 30, beginning at verse 15. Uh, Isaiah uh, bluntly lays out why it is that the people uh, are, are uh, being punished the way they are, but promises that God will be gracious to them. And then in Revelation chapter 2, we have the first four of seven letters that were addressed to individual churches. All right, Isaiah chapter 30, beginning at verse 15. Um, Isaiah says, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, this is what the Lord said to you in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength so in other words god's message to his people was to be patient and to wait on their lord and to trust in him and not fret about trying to find other ways to rescue themselves from what looked like impending disaster or stronger nations or whatnot like that. It was a call to faith and it was a call to trust in God. He will take care of his people. That's what God said. That's what he said to them. But you see how it continues at the last part of verse 15. It says, but you were unwilling. You said, no, we will flee upon horses. Now, so in other words, we'll, no, we're not going to wait on you. We're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to take care of ourselves. Of course, this is born of a lack of faith. You just don't believe that God is going to take care of you, and therefore uh, you, you do whatever it is that you can in order to save your own neck. So we're going to get on forces, and we're going to flee. So the Lord's response is, therefore, uh, you shall flee away. We're going to ride on swift steeds, they say. Well, therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. In other words, to the, to the extent that you fight against trusting in me, I'm just going to make it harder for you. The call of God is for us to trust in him. And when we refuse to trust in him, um, then, then he, he tends to punish our lack of faithfulness. We make matters worse. It's sort of like being in quicksand. And the more you struggle, the faster you sink. So, uh, so that's kind of the, uh, Isaiah's message here. But that's, that's just the first part. But then he goes on to say in verse 18, uh, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Okay? He's not being gracious to you yet because you're still struggling and still being rebellious. And he's not done with his alien work on you yet. But blessed are those, blessed are all those who wait for him. Verse 19 says, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. Now, so in other words, God has not forgotten you. He's not forsaken you. Yes, you're making it hard. Yes, you're struggling. And because of your struggles, you're, you're bruised from head to toe. But the Lord will eventually get through to you, and eventually he will bring about his, his promises to bring glory and peace to you. And uh, verse, verse 22 uh, uh, says, In that day, when, when, you finally, when you finally do learn your lesson, and the Lord finally does um, uh, bring you into peace uh, and reconciliation, he says in verse 22, Then you will defile your carved idols. Okay, it says, instead of defiling me and my holy things, you will defile, you will defile your own uh, idols. You will say to them, be gone. So finally, we will be rid of, of this uh, tendency of yours to go after other idols or, or to resist and rebel uh, against me. In the very last verse of our reading today, in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Once again, we turn to that basic and fundamental truth that our sins are ultimately against God. 
and the sufferings, the bruises, the injuries that we experience are from our God. And the one we flee to for mercy is to our God. So people of God, it, it's, it's necessary that we understand that everything revolves around God. Whether we're going to be faithful to him and trust in him, he will be faithful to us. He'll keep his promises. But the more we struggle and the more we fight, the more we just bruise ourselves. And when we finally come to our senses, we'll realize that our bruises are coming from the very one that we need to seek peace and quietness from and entrust in him. And if we will just stop our struggling and entrust ourselves to him, he will give us peace and he will bind up our wounds and um, uh, even, even the very wounds that he himself has inflicted. This is what God is calling us to. Stop fighting against him and let him take care of you. And you will see he loves you and uh, he will be faithful to his promises to you. All right, Revelation chapter two, uh, we have four letters of seven. So the, the whole of Revelation is a letter to the Holy Christian Church throughout the ages. But it is nominally written to seven representative churches. And so what we're going to have is seven little letters at the beginning of, of the book of Revelation, uh, little letters to each of these seven churches. But they're not really written just to those seven churches. As you can imagine, these letters have a much, much larger uh, audience in, in view. They are all written to the Holy Christian Church. So let's put this in a bit of a context here before we get into the individual letters, which we'll talk about briefly. Um, the larger context is Jesus walking among the lampstands. This is kind of part of the first vision. So you can imagine that uh, throughout the end times, Churches are going to be experiencing the kinds of things that Jesus is going to be responding to in these seven little letters. Some churches will be doing better, some churches worse, particular kinds of traps and issues that churches will have. And we're going to get some representative reactions to Jesus to these churches. So imagine that while Jesus is walking among the lampstands, um, he is commenting on the condition of this lampstand and of that lampstand and how they're doing and whether they're being faithful or whether they're being more faithful than they used to be or whether they're being less faithful than they used to be. So consider that these letters uh, are, are sort of letters that are applicable at various times and at various places for various churches. The particular problems might change, but the, the type of problem that it's looking at is not. So we'll take a look at these individually and we'll consider, you know, how churches struggle with this even to this day. Again, the names might change, but the basic problems remain the same. And it's the same Lord who is walking among the lampstands, of course, many more than seven lampstands. Uh, and he is watching over each of the congregations. And we'll do well to look at this and note what it is that he's commending and what it is that he's rebuking. Okay, the first letter is to the church at Ephesus. This is the same church that the letter to the Ephesians uh, uh, was written to by Paul. We have a whole book on that. But here, um, Jesus, each of these letters follows a similar uh, pattern. Typically, he commends the church for things that they're doing well, and then he rebukes the church for the things that they're not doing well. And in this case, he commends the Ephesian church because 
they, they work hard, they, they toil hard, they've been patient and enduring um, uh, various kinds of sufferings and bearing up for his namesake. But he says, um, verse four, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. And you can imagine that this is a typical problem for, for churches and congregations uh, that they start with a, a bang and then, and then start to fizzle out. So uh, the key to remaining uh, uh, fervent in the Lord is to remain fervent in his word so that his Holy Spirit may continue to strengthen us. Physically, we will get tired. Emotionally, we will get tired. But if we don't stay in the word, then we will also become spiritually tired and slow down. And so the Lord cautions uh, these Ephesians re regarding uh, that. Now, uh, the, next, um, the next letter is to the church at Smyrna. And uh, he, he, he talks about how uh, they have suffered much tribulation. Uh, and he is aware of that. Um, here, he, he doesn't, it, to the church at Smyrna, he doesn't criticize them for anything. He does uh, caution them. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Verse 10 says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He doesn't criticize the church at Smyrna, but he does warn them uh, that, uh, you know, he commends them for their suffering under tribulation, and he warns them that more is coming their way. Um, and and th those beautiful words, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Sometimes the Lord calls his church and his people to very, very hard roads. And it is necessary that we trust in his promises and recognize that the call to be a Christian is no guarantee that you're going to be happy and that all is going to go well from a human perspective. It might not. And Jesus is commenting here, these Christians uh, are going to experience severe persecution and uh, do not fear and thereby fall away and shrink back from what our Lord uh, from, from what the Lord is calling them to. So every Christian needs to be aware that the more faithful we are to our Lord, sometimes the bigger the target uh, that will be drawn on our back that the devil will be uh, 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 right after. Now, the next letter is uh, to the church at Pergamum. And uh, he, now in this, in this case, uh, in this and the last church at Thyatira are similar kinds of, of issues, and that is in each case, they are commended for holding fast to his name and in the works of love and so on like that. Um, but but in each case, they are criticized for what they are tolerating, and and what they are tolerating one is the sin of uh, of Balaam, uh, and the other is Jezebel. Well, Balaam and Jezebel are two. Uh, examples from the Old Testament uh, of um, uh, uh, of false prophets who enticed God's people to idolatry. Well, I shouldn't say false prophets necessarily. Balaam was a false prophet. Jezebel wasn't. That was Ahab's wife, and she was just a rank idolater. Um, in both cases, both with Jezebel and with Balaam, uh, there is a strong sense in the in the Hebrew text. Uh, that together with the idolatry was sexual immorality. And uh, that's why Jesus is referring to these particular uh, um, uh, tempters in, in, the old, uh, in the Old Testament, because 
here in the ancient world, particularly in these, in these lands, sexual um, uh, immorality was very, very common and very, very commonly practiced among uh, pagans and, and among those who were trying to infiltrate the church. From very earliest days, uh, the devil's efforts to try to undermine the church often revolve around calls to, to various kinds of sexual immorality. One example of this would be um, that, that because Christians are, are spiritual and we're saved by grace and that real life is life in the spirit, God is unconcerned about what we do with our bodies. And so it's sort of a call to sexual libertinism because uh, that has nothing to do with the things of the spirit. And of course, the apostles fought hard against that. Uh, other, other kinds of uh, idolatries are, are, are brazen in different ways. A call to practice sexual immorality is sort of a way to gain a heightened spirituality. Some uh, pagan practices uh, uh, involved sexual practices as part of their worship. Uh, and, and then Christians would be tempted to, to get involved with this. Um, note that each of these churches are criticized not for just going whole over into that. In fact, the church itself, neither of these churches are accused by Jesus of having embraced these things. What, what, what he's upset about is that they have tolerated it in their midst too much. In other words, they are not being very disciplined in their members. It doesn't say much more about it than that, other than it's, it's warning churches to be on guard. We cannot just say, well, the, the church is doing what it's supposed to do, and then allow individual Christians uh, or individual false prophets or individual false teachings to kind of be tolerated in the midst of a congregation or in the midst of a denomination. We have a lot of this going in the world today. Uh, a lot of false teachings are being tolerated by some churches. Uh, and, and even though your average member might be very faithful, uh, it might be that uh, in those congregations, terrible things are being permitted or being tolerated, being allowed or even, uh, or even exalted. And Jesus here makes it very clear that they must repent of this. It is not enough uh, just that our preaching be right uh, when we get into the pulpit, but we allow all kinds of other things to happen at other times. Or that this congregation is perfectly fine, but we are associated and affiliated with other congregations where uh, truly ungodly and unbiblical things are being permitted. Uh, Christians must be uh, vigilant uh, in upholding the truth. And so uh, these, uh, uh, these letters, these last two letters uh, to uh, Pergamum and Thyatira. All right, so tomorrow we'll look at uh, the, the other three letters in chapter three.